Hello, I'm Yulia Motok, judge at the European Court on Human Rights and professor of international law at the University of Bucharest. My lecture today will be about European Court of Human Rights and general international law. Although the European Court of Human Rights does not consider in principle the European Convention on Human Rights to be something separated from general international law, sometimes different paths are taken that the ones that seem to be prescribed by general international law rules whenever the court is asked to offer solution in hard, difficult cases. Such specific paths are clearly reflected in its case law. In addition and with time, it can also happen more often than not that the solution provided by the court will influence the general context of international law. Consequently, and with the pass of time, the influence will be in both ways, from general international law to specific human rights law, and from specific to general international law. Because of this exclusive or specific behavior, it can be said that in the field of international law, we have, on one hand, general international law, or better said, traditional public international law, and, on the other hand, the international law of human rights, the latter enjoying a further special status as reflected in the case law of the European Court of Human Rights. This delimitation was emphasized almost 40 years ago, back in 1971, eight, when the court had to declare, unlike international treaties of the classical kind, the convention comprises more than merely reciprocal engagement between contracting states. It creates over and above a network of mutual bilateral undertakings, objective obligations which, in the words of pre preamble, benefit from a collective enforcement. This is the case of Ireland versus United Kingdom. Uh, consequently, although the boards of the European Convention followed the traditional method of public international law, the effects produced under the voice of the European Court have followed a somehow pe peculiar path, particularly under the specific living instrument doctrine employed by the Court. What further helped the European Court develop such specificity in the compulsory individual complaint mechanism introduced in 1998 through Protocol No. 11? It can be said that this mechanism has offered the opportunity to directly emancipate the Convention case law from the general international law. But in every emancipation, there could be both a bright side and a dark one. The positive aspect in the case law of the European Court is seen as an important element used for constitutionalization of international law, and it is capable to establish a certain degree of order in a perhaps disorder floating fields of rule and sources of law. The dark side in that this new position adopted by the European Convention mechanism might contribute to further fragmentation of international law, because the dialogue between different courts and treaty bodies does not follow any formal hierarchy. As such, the harmony of the judicial international law voices chorus risks to being affected, even though the court is still to adjudicate, like all the other international courts based on a treaty and thus bound by the Vienna Convention on the Law of the Treaties. However, one thing is to be certain, both traditional public law and international human rights, and more specifically European human rights law, rely on sources of law. While in traditional public international law we have a specific source that customary rules know opinion juris, at the level of the European Convention such a source is to be furthermore reflecting in the notion of European consensus. 
As such, the European Consensus became a sort of autonomous regional customary law, namely European customary law, a notion that allows the court to separate itself from the legal notion of custom, as it is to be understood in general international law, and furthermore reflecting in the case law of the European court, International Court of Justice. Sinicaraguet Fay for further detail on this matter. When relying on sources of international law, the European Court also distinguishes between soft international law and hard international law. However, there is a certain normative relativity when looking closer at the sources, especially when considering the way that the Court chooses to identify the relevant international norms, be it soft or hard law. As it concerned the specific presence of the soft international law in the Strasbourg case law, there can be observed that there might be, in fact, different grades of soft law, all depending in the precise place it is soft law to be mentioned with a certain, within a certain judgment. As such, it was said that the court acts either as an enhancer of soft law or a downgrader. The most distinct use, usage of soft law in the case law of the European Court is where there is a need to interpret the Convention views as a living instrument in an evolutive progressive way. In this type of case law, the Court relies on soft international law as a proof instrument that is a new approach taking place in current international law. Such a new approach is sufficient for the Court to justify the need to depart from previous case law. As it concerns hard international law, when such rules are relevant for solving a case in front of the European Court, the approach is different. Here, the Court will try, more often than not, to provide an interpretation in accordance with those hard international rules in order to avoid obligation clashes that might otherwise happen to arise. Although after Demir and Bakara versus Turkey case, it's a treat law that the court does not distinguish between sources of international law based on the facts and some of signed and ratified by the larger majority of states than others. What it is certainly clear is that when looking globally at the way the court relies on sources, one can see two types of approaches depending whether the court has to deal with the hard or just soft international law. The coin pointed out that the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties establishes that a treaty provision must be interpreted in accordance with its object and purpose. Consequently, the Convention must also take account of other rules of international law and that a multitude of documents can provide the means of, to clarify the convention, uh, the convention both from other international organizations and from the Council of Europe itself. The court also underlined that it will never distinguish between documents that the respondent state has signed and ratified and those it has not. Secondly, and as a further preliminary point that needs to be clarified, I need to mention that the fact that it was to be considered soft law in the realm of international law can only be established in a negative form. Therefore, soft law is everything else that does not qualify as being hard law. In addition, because of the way the court relies on soft international law, the soft law has the capacity to develop through the force court's judgment into international hard law, at least within the jurisdiction exercised by European court. 
Consequently, part of the soft law is to be everything that is being considered as being non-binding resolution of recommendation, and this as long as such recommendation and resolution as considered not represented reflection on opinion juris. Because in the light, later case, their content is to be reflected in customary international law, namely hard law. Protocol number 16 will, once will enter into force, will give birth to special European soft law, namely the advisory opinion that will be delivered by the court as the request of national supreme courts. In general, soft international law is used by the court in order to justify its need to interpret a convention in a dynamic and evolutive manner, being used as a tool to prove the birth of the European consensus as a certain specific subject. Another general application of soft law happens when the court has to interpret really vague terms such as human treatment and which are contained within the specific provision of the convention. Coming back to hard law and the way the court uses this type of source, what can be definitely said about it is the fact that the court considers itself bound by follow customer international law and therefore the binding judgment attached to it. The court found that it has not been established that there yet an acceptance of international law of the proposition the state were not entitled to immunity in respect to civil claims for damages concerning alleged torture committed outside the state, forum state. This is what court said in Asajani case and also in Jones versus UK. There were therefore not violation of Article 6.1 when the domestic courts strike out the claim, uh, applicant's claim against Kuwait of civil damages for torture in application of the role of the state immunity contained in 1970 Act 55. The court might next assess whether the restriction was proportionate to the emperor suit. It reiterates that the convention has to be interpreted in the light of the rules set out in the Vienna Convention on the Law of the Treaties of 23rd of May 1969, and there Article 31.3c of the treaty indicates that account into be taking of any relevant rules of international law applicable to the relation between the parties. The convention, including Article 6, cannot be interpreted in a vacuum. The court must be mindful of the convention's special character as a human rights treaty, and it must also take relevant rules of international law into account. Also, in this judgment, the court uh, quotes Loisid versus Turkey, uh, the judgment of 1996. The convention should far be possible be interpreted in the harmony with other rules of international law, of which it forms part, including those relating to the grant to the immunity. The court recalls in Jones that the court has previously explained that sovereign immunity is a concept of international law developed out of the principle par intra parem non habet imperium by virtue of which one state shall not be subject to the jurisdiction of other state. The grant of sovereign immunity to a state in civil proceedings pursue the legitimate aim of complying with international law to promote committee and good relationship between states through the respect of other sovereignty. In Jones also, the, the court recalled Fogarty, Al-Sajani, uh, and Sabeh Al-Sayed judgment. European consensus and custom international law it's a very important relationship that we should, should underline. Uh, 
The concept of the European Consensus is a concept created by the European Court of Human Rights through its case law. The first case in which such a concept is mentioned is Tara versus UK. From the international law point of view, the concept is interesting as it brings us questions concerning the source of law and their interaction. For the European Court, the consensus existing at the level of the Council of Europe contracting parties is seen as a proof that a regional customary law has been developed on a certain important human rights issues. When determining if there, if there is a European consensus, the Court relies on the two notions existing in Article 313C of the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties, namely other rules and applicable between the parties. The state practice represents one of the factors that the court will take into account when analyzing in their opinion juris of the state's form on a certain legal issue raised either by the applicant or by the respondent state. This approach is in line with International Court of Justice case law. In Nicaragua, it is stated that in the field of customer international law, the shared views of the parties as to the content of what they regard as rule is not enough. The court may satisfy itself that the existence of the rule in the opinion juris of states is confirmed by practice. Through the opinion juris, the court in Strasbourg takes note within its judgment of this judicial behavior of the state over a certain period of time. In Demire Baikara versus Turkey, the court reiterated. In addition, the court has never considered the provision of the convention as a sole framework of reference from the interpretation of the rights and freedoms enshrined therein. On the contrary, it must also take into account any relevant rules and principles of international law applicable in relation between the contracting parties. The court concluding that by explaining that in defining the meaning of terms and notion in the text of the Convention, the Court can and must take into account elements of international law, other than the Convention, the interpretation of such elements by competent organs and the practice of European states reflecting their common values. The consensus emerging from specialized international instruments and from the practice of contracting states may constitute a relevant consideration from the court when it interprets in the provision of the convention in specific cases. For the court, it will be sufficient that the relevant international instrument denote a continuous evolution in the norms and principles applied in international law and in the domestic law of the majority of the member states of the Council of Europe and show in a precise area that there is a common ground in modern society. Therefore, in Demir and Bakara, the court underlined the common standards in domestic laws and other international law could form other rules of international law in the sense of Article 31.3, Paragraph 3 of the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties. Also, the fact that the court stated that when searching for common ground among the norms, the court does not distinguish between sources of law, it means that even if a state has not ratified a particular treaty, this does not mean that international law does not provide for a relevant obligation and that obligation could not be found in other courts of international law, here including a customer norm which may not be the same or very similar to the established for a treaty. 
for the court a solid tendency that emerges from domestic law and international instruments is enough to establish the existence of a European consensus. But if this European consensus, a different way of talking about an order of customary law, in Tudak versus Lithuania, when discussing state immunity, uh, what matters in Article 6, the court looked to see if there were a state practice within the Council of Europe states that would confirm that relevant opinion juris concerning exception for employment contracts from the rule of state immunity. In ABC versus Ireland, the court explained how it understands European consensus. The existence of a consensus has long been played a role in the development and evolution of the Convention Protection beginning of Child versus United Kingdom. The Convention being considered a living instrument to be interpreted in the light of present-day conditions. Consensus has therefore been invoked to justify a dynamic interpretation of the Convention. In other words, resort to the concept of European consensus in the case law of the European Court of Human Rights may legitimately make an international lawyer think about regional customary law, but the examination above shows that while it is legitimate point of departure is does not fully explain the notion. As the notion has developed historically, it is fair to say that it was meant to have an autonomous meaning. It is especially so given the difficulties surrounding the concept of customary rule and especially opinion juris. Over time, the notion of the European consensus has permitted the court to operate with the very same rule of treaty interpretation in a more dynamic and less dogmatic manner. Despite the possible differences in approaches when decided how to interpret a certain provision of international law, there is a common framework shared by all international courts and tribunals. All of them they have a starting point in the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties. Uh, however, the European Convention it is not only an international treaty, but also an international human rights instrument that might need special rules as being interpreted. The rules are needed especially in times in which just using state practice as a means to dynamically interpret the Convention risks that lowering the standards that is to be ensured. Therefore, and different from the relevancies of state practice in general international law, in matters of international law of human rights, the state practice can lack any effect on the eyes of the court whenever the practice is subversive of the previous standards of the protection and was established and ensured through the case law of the European Court. In addition, the European Court could use other methods, distinctive ones, that from traditional types, sometimes speci specified in the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties. Sometimes, as it could be seen uh, to be done in Demir and Baikara, the court relies on a sui generis method of interpretation in order to satisfy the need to ensure the European human rights, European human rights that not become illusory ones. There is no clear methodology concerning the way in which subsequent state practice could influence the way that the court is to interpret in a certain European Court of Convention of Human Rights provision. However, the state practice is relevant because of the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties and its Article 31 and 33, as the court has decided since mid-70s. 
In Golder versus UK, it was mentioned for the first time the fact that the European Convention is a treaty that it will be interpreted in accordance with the rule established by the Vienna Convention of the Law of the Treaties. The submission made to the court were in the first place directed to the manner in which the Convention, and in particular Article 3, Paragraph 1, should be interpreted. The court is prepared to consider, as do the government and the Commission, that it should be guided by Article 31 and 33 to the Vienna Convention on the Law of the Treaties. The Convention has not yet entered into force, and it specifies at Article 4 that it will be not retroactive, but its Article 31 and 33 enunciate in, in senses general accepted principle of international law, to which the Court has already referred on occasion. In this respect, for the interpretation of the European Convention account, it is, has to be taken in those articles subject were appropriate to any relevant rules of the organization, the Council of Europe, within which it has been adopted, Article 5 of the Vienna Convention. Nevertheless, when deciding that the Convention is a living instrument, the Court does not analyze if there was a genuine agreement existing at the level of the contracting parties from such an evolutive interpretation approach. Examples of evolutive interpretation are to be met in cases concerning, for example, Article 9 of the Convention in Bataan versus Armenia, when the Court again does not mention any agreement between the state parties to permit the Court to interpret the Convention in the light of actual social conditions. Even so, Article 31 provides the Court with the possibility to rely from, for an evolutive interpretation on state practice whenever it has to provide a logical interpretation, a textual interpretation, or a contextual interpretation. For example, in the landmark ruling Soaring versus UK, the court has furthermore pointed out that one there is a sufficient state practice, the agreement of that state concerning such an evolutive interpretation of the convention is to be presumed. The Convention is a living instrument which must be interpreted in the light of present-day condition, and in assessing whether a given treatment of punishment is to be regarded as inhuman or degrading for the purposes of Article 3, the Court cannot but be influenced by the development and commonly accepted standards in the penal policies of the Member States of the Council of Europe in this field. De facto, the death penalty, said the court, no longer exists in the time of peace in the contracting states of the Convention. In the few contracting states which retain the death penalty in law for sometimes peacetime offenses, death penalty is ever imposed are nowadays not carried out. This virtual consensus in Western European legal systems that the death penalty is, under current circumstances, no longer consistent with regional standards of justice, to use the words of Amnesty International, is reflected in the Protocol No. 6 to the Convention, which provides from the abolition of the death penalty in the time of peace. Protocol No. 6 was opened for signature in April, in April 1983 which is the practice of the Council of Europe, indicates the absence of objection on the part of any of the member states in, of organization. 
It came into force in March, March 1985 and to date has been ratified by 13 contracting states to the convention, not, however, including the United Kingdom. The same approach is seen recently in Ocalan versus Turkey. The court reiterated that the convention is a living instrument which must be interpreted in the light of present-day condition and the increasingly high standards being required in the area of the protection of human rights and fundamental liberties correspondingly and inevitably requires a greater fairness in assessing breaches of fundamental values of democratic societies. When, where there is a no sufficient proof of agreement between states concerning a certain, certain practice capable to impose upon the court a dynamic and progressive interpretation of the prohibition contained with the European Convention, such a practice is still to be considered relevant as the instrument capable to shed more lights on a certain meaning already existing, establishing to exist within the realm of the European Convention. Another specific function of state practice is that of a tool that would allow, entitle the court to modify the provision of the convention. For example, in Hassan versus UK, the Grand Chamber declared that there has been no subsequent agreement between the high contracting parties as to the interpretation of Article 5 in situation of international armed conflict. However, in respect of the criterion set out in the Article 31, uh, paragraph 3b of the Vienna Convention, the court has previously stated that a consistent practice of a part of a high contracting parties subsequent to their ratification of the convention could be taken as establishing their agreement not only as regards interpretation but even to modify the text of the convention. Although there have been a number of military missions to involving contracting states acting extra Extraterritorially, since the ratification of the convention, no state has ever mean, man, made a derogation to Article 15 of the convention in respect to these activities. The derogations that have been lodged in respect of Article 5 have concerned additional powers of detention claimed by states to have been rendered necessary as a result of internal conflict or terrorist threats to contracting states. Moreover, it would appear that the practice is not lodging derogation under Article 15 of the Convention in respect to the detention under the Third and Fourth Geneva Convention during international armed conflicts is mirrored by state practice in relation to the International Covenant for the Protection of Civil and Political Rights. Similarly, although many states have in turn pursued, pursued to powers under the Third and Fourth Geneva Convention in the context of international armed conflict subsequent to ratifying the convention, no state has explicitly derogated under Article 4 of the Covenant in respect to such detention. Even subsequent to the advisory opinion and judgment referred to above, where the International Court of Justice made it clear that states' obligation under the international human rights instrument to which there were parties continued to apply in the situation of international armed conflict. If we have to speak about evolutive interpretation in the light of other, instru in other international instruments, Again, we have to quote Demir and Bakara and three important things quoted by this uh, judgment. Uh, 
that the European Court relies in order to interpret the Convention on the Evolutive Matter on the interpretation rules providing by the Vienna Convention on the Law of the Treaties, that because of the such methodology it can rely on both national and international law evolution in order to discover a new meaning hidden in the Convention. In the case where the court is going to apply this new interpretation, the court is not going to limit only the use from international instruments that were ratified by the defendant state. The international documents created under the supervision of the Council of Europe are played distinctive role that other global instruments. What is important for the court when choosing to rely on international instruments other than the Convention in order to establish the meaning of a certain provision of the Convention is the need to establish and to feel convinced that the relevant international instruments reflect a continuous evolution in the norms applying the international law and or in the domestic law of the majority of the member states of the Council of Europe. Moreover, the court went a step further in Hassan v. UK in order to point out that the rules of interpretation as contained in the Vienna Convention not only provides the court with the competence to interpret the Convention in an evolutive manner, but also with the competence to modify the text of the Convention per se, whenever certain conditions are going to be fulfilled in advance. As such, as, as expressed by the court in Tanase v. Moldova case, it is for the court to decide which international instruments and reports it consider relevant and how much weight to contrib attribute to them. The court emphasized that it has consistently had that it must take into account relevant international instruments and reports, and in particular those other Council of Europe organs, in order to interpret the guarantees of the Convention and to establish whether there is a common European standard in the field. It is for the court to decide which international instruments and report it consider relevant and how much weight to attribute to them. Where there is a common standard which the respondent state has failed to meet, this may constitute a relevant consideration for the court when it is interpreted the provision of the convention in specific case. In the present case, the court considered that the provision of the, uh, of the reports of the ECRI and the Venice Commission and the resolution of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe to be relevant to the assessment whether the law uh, is proportionate. In particular, in making reference, the court is seeking to examine the applicant right to hold dual citizenship by rather in the right of the respondent state to introduce restriction on his right to take a seat following his election on the result of his dual nationality and the compatibility of such with the restriction of Article 3, Protocol Number 1. Again, in the judgment of MV versus Finland in 2017, the court reiterated its consistent practice according to which the court takes into account relevant international instruments and report in order to interpret the guarantees of the convention and to establish whether there is a common standard in the field concerned. It is the court to decide which international instruments and report it consider relevant and how much weight to attribute to them. 
In the present case, MV, the court considered the relevant the United Nations Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, having also uh, regard to the interpretation given by the UN Committee, as well as related recommendations, resolutions and strategies statement adopted by the Council of Europe bodies. The interpretation of Article 1 of the Convention by the Court is the cornerstone of the European Human Rights Protection. Without jurisdiction, there is indeed no possibility for a member state to be found guilty for infringing human rights as protected by European Convention. Precisely because of the limitation imposed by Article 1, the Court can be seen taking distance from the case law of the Inter International Court of Justice that tackles with the issue of res state responsibility. In addition, the Court has relied on international humanitarian law in order to expand the meaning of jurisdiction under Article 1 of the Convention. In fact, since 1965, it was admitted under the Convention provision that a state can be held accountable for its extraterritorial conduct. As it concerned the test applied by the Court in order to determine if there is jurisdiction, the first one in relation to which uh, I plan to talk about is a test also known as the doctrine of the effective control over a territory. In this line of cases, the court will check if a st state exercises in a certain period of time an effective control over a territory other than his. In Cyprus versus Turkey, it has established that Turkey exercised effective control over the northern Cyprus and therefore the court considered Turkey to have legal standing under the convention. In general, in matters of established jurisdiction, there is to be applied two test models, a spatial test and a personal test. The European Court of Human Rights employs both types of assessment when needing to establish if it is jurisdiction under Article 1 of the Convention. As such, the two tests transform into having to decide if a state has special jurisdiction and or personal jurisdiction. Issues of jurisdiction are very important, especially when dealing with military occupation of a foreign land. In cases of Ashkeni, the court established that it has jurisdiction to rule on alleged human rights infringement whenever the military forces of a European state will detain an, in, an individual and this irrespective where the places of detention is located. In addition, in Jalude versus Netherlands, the court established that the person who were to go through an European state checkpoint in Iraq were within the authority and control of the European state and the court was to have therefore jurisdiction in deciding if the alleged violation of the convention happened or not. Cases like as such Alshkini and Jalud versus Netherlands confirmed that willingness of the court to interpret Article 1 of the convention in a broad manner opening the door more and more to complaints from individuals living outside the European state borders. On the other hand, and irrespective of this wide interpretation when decided issues under Article 1 of the Convention, the Court can at the same time, through the interference of other international instruments such as the law of armed conflict, to narrow the interpretation of certain substance of certain rights, and this happened in Hassan. Here, the court also found jurisdiction under Article 1. It decided to narrow interpretate the prohibition contained in Article 4, 5, Paragraph 1, 
of the European Convention of Human Rights in order to allow international humanitarian law-based detention in the context of international armed conflict. When conducting such a legal analysis, the court is, in addition, led by the consideration of the fact that is need to avoid a vacuum in the Convention protection. The second test is the one concerning the need to check if there is a jurisdiction by virtue of exercise of power and authorities over persons. The second string of cases, the court established that the state is to be held accountable whenever its agents, to be military or civil, simply civilians, will exercise a certain power of authorities over individuals in a different territory than the national one. In Ocalan case, for example, the court established there is the international zone of Nairobi uh, Airport, Turkey, has jurisdiction through the acts realized by its agents, Turkish security forces, when the applicant was arrested. In Ocalan, ratio dissidentis was further developed in Al Sadaun and Mustafi versus United Kingdom, uh, where the court established UK have jurisdiction for acts alleged to have happened in the British-run military prisons in Iraq. In Al-Sadon, the courts firmly state, the court considered that, given the total and exclusive de facto and subsequently the jure control exercised by the United Kingdom authorities over the premises in questions, the individual detained there, including the applicant, were within the United Kingdom jurisdiction. The European Court of Human Rights employs both type of assessment when needed to establish that is jurisdiction under Article 1 of the Convention. As such, the two tests transform into having to decide if a state has partial jurisdiction or personal jurisdiction. Issues of jurisdiction are very important, especially when dealing with military occupation of a foreign land. In such cases, such as Kaini, the court established that it has jurisdiction to rule on alleged human rights infringement whenever a military forces of a European state will detain any individual and this irrespective where the place of detention is located. In addition, in Jalud versus Netherlands, the court established that a person who were to go through a European state checkpoint in Iraq were within the authorities and control of the European state and the court was to have therefore jurisdiction in deciding if the alleged violation of the convention happened or not. Cases such as Keini and Jalud versus Netherlands confirm the willingness of the court to interpret Article 1 of the Convention in a broad manner, opening the door more and more to complaints from the individual living outside the European state borders. On the other hand, and irrespective of this wide interpretation when deciding issues under Article 1 of the Convention, the court can at the same time, through the interference of other international instruments such as the law of armed conflict, to narrow the interpretation of the substance of certain rights. And this has seen happening in Hassan. Here, the court, although it found jurisdiction under Article 1, it decided to narrow interpret it in the prohibition containing Article 5 to allow the international humanitarian law based detention in the context of international armed conflict. In order for a state to have locus standis under the Convention, the alleged victim has to show first and foremost the court that the acts were committed within the jurisdiction of the respondent state. Based on the cases arriving more and more often in the front of the European Court, 
I will certainly underline that more one state will at a certain moment exercise control and authorities over the group of same group of people. The court was therefore asked to come and clarify when such a concurrent jurisdiction can occur in practice and what is test to be applied from deciding when where are in present of such situation. Through its jurisprudence, the court has implicitly underlined and just because there is a concurrent jurisdiction, it does not mean that there will be concurring duties and that if there will be concurring duties, this does not imply without exception that there will be found a concurring responsibility. Moreover, when having to decide of concurring jurisdiction, the European Court has no choice whether to completely uh, uh, enter international waters and therefore rely more on the use of general international law and especially on practice concerning state responsibility. However, in the case of concurring jurisdiction, must, uh, must not be confused with this one in which there are concurring duties. For instance, in MSS versus Belgium and Greece, although they were concurring duties in the relation to the same person, they were not concurring territorial jurisdiction. In addition, we can have the specific situation in which we have joint human rights duties, namely when one state is acting within its own territory and the other is acting outside its own territory by still exercises exterritorial jurisdiction in the eyes of the court, for instance in Jalut. Thirdly, they must also be the case when both states exercise concurring jurisdiction outside their own territory, for instance, Hassan versus UK. And fourthly, there's also the specific situation when the state loses effective control to other state, which is also contracting part to the convention, Ilashkor Katan cases. But as mentioned previously, just the fact that there is concurring jurisdiction and further concurring duties this does not mean that there will be always shared responsibilities. For example, in situations in which the concurring duties towards the same group of people are of different types, there will not be need to decide how the allocation of the concurring European Convention human rights duties is, should take place. Lastly, the court will order reparation for each and every distinct injury that form the concurring violation of a certain human rights for instance, in, in Rancev. Avoiding, therefore, the need to tackle if it should establish joint attribution of concurring responsibility to many states at the same time. In conclusion, the way in which the court is to deal with concurring jurisdiction, concurring human rights duties, and concurring responsibility is a specific problem and will define more and more of the creative intervention of the European court in today's transnational circumstances. Another issue that is very important is the question of responsibilities. In matters concerning state responsibilities for acts subject to international law, the applicable, uh, the applicable international source is that the article of the responsibility of the state in wrongful acts. Such provisions are to be applicable in principle even in situations governed by regional human rights treaties like the European Convention of Human Rights. The court stated in Bankovich that the court must take into account any relevant rules of international law when examining questions concerning its jurisdiction and consequently determine state responsibility in conformity with the governing principle of international law, although it might remain mindful the Convention's special character as a human rights treaty. 
Nevertheless, the court has to step in and develop uh, the, the own approach in matters concerning jurisdiction and state responsibility under the Convention. Four trends were identified in the way that court deals with matter of state responsibility and jurisdiction. The court has to, first one is the court has to fill the gaps in situation in which a member state was also part of international organizations sui generis, like that of the European Union, for instance, Bosforo case. The court has broadly interpreted many, uh, the second one, the court has broadly interpreted many European Convention of Human Rights rights as giving rise to the positive obligation of the state avoiding the need to engage in secondary rules of state responsibility, for instance, in Costello Roberts. In addition, the court has also to step aside from the orthodoxy of the general principle of the state responsibility in cases like Behami, as it is to apply the ultimate authorities approach rather than the test of effective control. The fourth criteria, the court did not so far as clarify the relationship between the attribution and jurisdiction an issue mainly appears in cases concerning extraterritorial acts. In cases like Costello Roberts and O'Keefe, the court has affirmed that the principle that a state could not avoid its protective obligations under the European Convention of Human Rights by delegating primary education to private entity. In addition, the court has found the positive obligation arises also in matter concerning bar association, private psychiatric treatment, or the organization of the labor market. Nevertheless, in this line of cases, the court analysis was never put in terms of the draft of the International Law Commission, but in that of positive obligation. Even so, such case law is consistent with the draft of the International Law Commission and its Article 5, when it provides the conduct of the person on entity which is not an organ of a state under Article 4, but which is empowered by the law and that state to exercise elements of the governmental authorities shall be considered as an act of a state under international law provided the person of entity in acting of in such said capacity in the particular instance. More recently, in case Scotto versus Russia, the court has not only mentioned the ILC provisions, but also the subsequent commentaries in this before going to the question of positive obligations. Uh, then in uh, Lisetskia and Malov, the court decided that Russia was responsible after it pointed out that in order to determine the issue of state responsibility for the debts of the unitary enterprises, the court must examine whether and how the extensive powers of control provided for and in the domestic law were actually exercised by the authorities in a given case. In the field of state responsibility for acts of international organization, it is a potential clash between two different principles. The principle that international organization can be held responsible for their wrongful acts as international organizations have individual legal personality. And on the other hand, the principle that state had high states have a duty to provide an effective remedy as imposed by different European Convention of Human Rights provision. Starting with Bosphorus, the court presumed that the protection afforded by the interna international organizations is an equivalent one and is under the convention. This presumption can be rebutted on, on, on once and is proven that in a specific case, the equivalent protection is manifestly inadequate, in, for instance, in Bosphorus. Uh, 
Moreover, in other cases, Gasparini, the court underlined that a structural lacuna is the international dispute resolution system that is to put in place by the international organization would be enough to establish responsibility of the respondent state. However, up until pre present, no breach of convention by the international organization has to be found. The matter is going to become more complicated also once the EU will join the convention, if this will happen. A different lines of cases concerning responsibility of international organization was developed in relation with the United Nations and NATO peacekeeping and security operation. In Berhami and Saramanti case, case, cases, there, there was not state responsibility in the sense of Article 1 of the Convention as the military troops were carrying out a NATO operation. The court considered that the, it lacked ratione persone competencies underlying the following. The question raised by the present case is less whether the respondent state states exercise extraterritorial jurisdiction in Kosovo, but far more centrally whether this court is competent to examine under the Convention those states. Contribution to the civil and security presences which didn't exercise in the relevant control of Kosovo. Accordingly, the first issue to be examined by the discord is the compatibility ratione persona of the applicant complaint with the provision of the Convention. The court chose to apply the ultimate authority test as to be mentioned in the United Nations Security Council retain ultimate authorities and control so the operational command once was delegated. This type of reasoning is a clear departure for the provision of the Article 5. Such an approach was criticized because in Sawan created the impression that states can avoid responsibility by creating of international organization. Uh, the follow-up follow case, uh, Al-Jeda, also in the line with the project of the International Law Commission mentioned below, the court mentions both tests, the ultimate control and the effective control one, while pointing out that both alternative tests were satisfied on the facts. For the reasons set out above, the court considered that the United Nations Security Council had neither effective control nor ultimate authorities and control over the acts of an omission of a troops within the multi multinational force and then the applicant's detention was not therefore attributable to the United Nations. The third state responsibilities. In other cases as Al-Masri or Al-Nashini versus Poland, the court adds the test of normally to be uh, applied under the ISC project in situation in which there seems to be collusion between a member state and a convention and a third party state. In such cases, the court develops an independent standard from one that were normally applicable under the ISC project, namely the acquaintances of connivance standard. The last category of cases concern the state jurisdiction for extraterritorial acts. It is important to note that in Katan and other versus Moldova and Russia, the court underlined that the existence of jurisdiction is not equated with the test of responsibilities in extraterritorial cases, while sending to Jalud and Werther uh, Netherlands and Loisidu versus Turkey. For extraterritorial act, state jurisdiction under Article 1 of the Convention can happen to appear in two different specific cases. Cases to which the court analyzes if there is a territory under the effective control of a respondent state, 
or cases where the court has to decide if the state has exercised control over an individual outside the area where the state normally has effective control. Once the state will decide that it was an Asia special sphere jurisdiction or a personal sphere jurisdiction, will then further decide if the alleged act is to be attributable to the organ of agent of the respondent state. In Drones and Januszok versus France and Spain, the question of the attribution could not be separated from the one regarding jurisdiction. In Behrami and Sarmanti cases, the court incorporated the attribution question into the jurisdiction analysis while deciding that there could not be a matter of state jurisdiction if the acts were not to be attributed to the respondent state before the court. And in the Chirakov case, the court forestated that analysis by approaching the jurisdiction matter. The court established that the, the, um, it had to decide whether the Republic of Armenia exercised and continues to exercise effective control over the mentioned territories and the result may be held responsible for the alleged violations. Lastly, the issue on the relationship between the court's jurisdiction attribution is not the one to exist only at the European Court of Human Rights level. The ICG have to deal with the similar issue in the cases such as Bosnia and Herzegovina genocide judgment. In conclusion, the jurisprudence of the European Court of Human Rights presents a rather diffused approach. Therefore, the court should strive, in a sense, you know, to better apply the ILC rules in order to provide consistency through its case law. At the same time, we have to take into account that the issue has an autonomous meaning in the sense of the European Court of Human Rights interpretation. In some cases that have already reached the court, the circumstances were so intertwined that before solving the matter of a violation allegation, the Strasbourg Court has first and foremost to decide not only that is only a couple of states having jurisdiction, but also if there is a concurring of shared responsibility. This concept of state responsibility was defined at the international law level in the Article 47 of the International Law Commission project. However, it is far from clear that the precise meaning of such a notion is to entail when applied within the realm of the European Convention of Human Rights. In the new cases of Al-Nashiri and Kotov, the court is seeing, uh, seeing applying the international developed rules of shared state responsibilities. In addition, it also paved a way for further development and possible new negotiation in cases in which uh, we are in the presence of shared responsibilities of international organization in a concurrence with the one of more single member states, for instance in Bosphorus. In any case, the jurisprudence of the court or jurisdiction and responsibility cannot be considered as developed a self-contained regime, but should be better understood as a specialist regime capable to fully integrate it with the realm of the general international law of the state responsibilities. The evidence of a such integrative and harmonized approach lies in the cases as Jalud and Jirakov. In Jalud, the applicant complained that her son was killed in Netherlands forces at a vehicle checkpoint in Iraq. Here, the court mentioned that within the although in accordance with the UN Security Council Resolution 1483, the occupying powers were United Kingdom and United States. Still, as it is concerned, the precise territorial checkpoint the Netherlands was having full command. As such, the situation was considered to give rise to jurisdiction under the autonomous meaning of Article 1. 
While in Chirakov, it was further mentioned that even in the separatist zone of Nagorno-Karabakh, the Armenia was exercised jurisdiction in Armenia's military support has continued to be decisive for control over the territories in question. In addition, other distinction that can be seen within the case law of the Strasbourg court is that between the test applied by the court when having to deal with Security Council resolutions that concern the use of armed force within that certain territory and the Security Council resolution that are to be imposed economic or targeted sanctions. Such cases are further complicated whenever there is also another international organization appearing in the case facts, namely the European Union, as it's well known of because of the opinion too. On 2013, the EU is still not a member of the European Convention and therefore it does not have legal standing in the front of the Strasbourg Court. Although, on the other hand, it is the one in charge to secure the proper enforcement of the security resolution at the EU level and within the territory of its 28 member states. In this type of case scenario, there is a post-forest presumption, namely the principle that the EU ensures equivalent standards of protection without the court having, therefore, to go into the details of each and every violation allegation. Nevertheless, and despite the potential of normative clash between the case law of the court and then other international treaty bodies, the tendency within the case law in this embracing complementarity in the matters concerning the UN security resolutions. The responsibility of the member states is further enhanced through the way in which the court is to punish the violation of the convention and its additional protocols. Although it could be argued that the need is to express mention to the award of punitive damages, for the moment the court has decided not to make use of this type of exemplary damages. State immunity is governed by customary international law as is codified in the UN Convention of Jurisdictional Immunities of State and Their Property. In the matters concerning immunity, the European Court is asked more than often to verify that a certain situation is to fall under a specific immunity that is to be enjoined by a state in a certain field of law, such as employment law. The Court has therefore to the task to integrate state immunity, which is in general international law, within the general international law of human rights. When conducting such investigations, the court verifies, firstly, that there is a customary rule concerning immunity that has to be applied absolutely. It relies on the text and finding of inter the International Law Commission. The way that the court conducts the analysis can be clearly observed in Tudak versus Lithuania. In Tudak, the court has to decide at preliminary point if the lack of access to a court in an employment litigation case was or was not in accordance with the applicable rules of customary international law. If the state was to enjoy needed indeed immunity, then the court would have found the restriction of a right to access to a court to be a justified one. Therefore, in cases where the application of the principle of state immunity for jurisdiction restrict the exercise of the right to access to a court, the court must, must ascertain whether the circumstances of the case ju justify such restriction. The court observed that immunity was developed in international law out of the principle parem in parem non habet imperium, by virtue of which one state could not be subject to another jurisdiction of other. The court has also underlined, as it has already stated in Fogarty judgment, that there was a trend in international and comparative law 
our limiting state immunity in respect of employment-related disputes, with the exception, however, of those concerning recruitment of staff in embassies. The court then decided, after analyzing the development of such a trend, that Article 11 of the ILC 1991 draft articles on which the 2004 United Nations Convention was based applies to the respondent state under customary international law. It therefore accepted the customary status of the employment immunity exceptions as contained in International Law Commission draft article, as also reflected in the equivalent norm induced in the United Nations Convention on State Immunities. Nevertheless, in their observed that the applicant situation was not to fall under the immunity provided by Article 11 of the International Law Commission 1991 draft articles. Consequently, it ruled that by upholding in the present case an objection based of state immunity and by deciding jurisdiction to hear the applicant's claim, the Lithuanian courts, in a failing to preserve the reasonable relation of proportionality, overstepped their margin of appreciation and thus, thus impaired the very essence of the applicant's rights because of the, to the access to the court. Because of such an approach, it was claimed that up until now the jurisprudence of the Strasbourg court award the basic high level of protection for those rights that risk being affected by state immunity customary rules. Consequently, the grant of immunity will be considered a proportionate restriction on the right to access to a court only and, uh, and such a situation will be considered by the European Court to be required by customary international law. It must also be mentioned that the fact that in Europe, beside the customary international law concerning state immunity, there is also the European Union legislation that covers employment disputes with the embassies of foreign states. The, uh, the Court of Justice act actually asked in Madame Mia Madame, Madame case to interpret the provision of the regulation number 41 of 2001 in matters concerning a contract of employment concluded by an embassy on behalf of the sending state. Therefore, whenever the convention will be applicable, the state immunity custom or international law will be a reason for the European Court to accept that the right to access to a court can be restricted in a proportionate manner as long as the immunity is to be applied. The states are to be upheld accountable under the Convention provision whenever there is an established jurisdiction in accordance with Article 1. However, in practice, the court has to deal also with the state immunity as developed in the realm of traditionally public international law, but as interpreted and integrated by the court.